Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. My name is Zahida Mohammadi and I am an emotional mastery and business mentor, boundaries expert, mum to two very special souls and the founder of the Live Inspired Academy. If you are looking to upgrade your relationships, your business and your life and yourself, then this is the place for you. Nothing fires me up more than helping people overcome their limits, discover their gifts, reconnect to their authenticity, their natural fitra, the unique way that they connect to others and their creator so that they can bring those gifts into the world and live with purpose and passion. And that is what this podcast is all about. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of inspiration to help you connect to all the possibility and potential that exists within you. Here, you'll find all the tools, resources, strategies, and teachings that you need on your self-development journey. Thank you for choosing to be here. Let's get inspired. Welcome to another episode of Live Inspired with Zahida, and I have a guest with us today for this interview. Ramadan is right here on our doorsteps, and we are so fortunate to be seeing another Ramadan. But let's talk about the side of Ramadan that no one actually talks about. You might be hearing everyone getting excited, preparing their savories, talking about how they are going to get more into Quran and how they're hoping to build positive habits during this month. But what no one is really talking about is the emotional aspect or how Ramadan can be very triggering for those of us who are grappling with grief. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently or just around the time of Ramadan and especially as Eid approaches, you tend to feel very triggered because it brings up memories of loved ones that you have lost. And, you know, it brings up all of these feelings and these emotions for you. And you might even wonder like, you know, I wish I could be more excited for Ramadan, but I'm having all of these feelings come up and I don't know how to deal with it. And so I thought the per perfect person to be with us with this topic is Shaista. And if for those of you who know Shaista, she's been with me previously here on my podcast. Uh, we did a wonderful episode where she shared more about Quran journaling. And that could be some, please, after this podcast, go and listen to that because that's really going to help you with your Ramadan prep as well. But for now, Shaista is here because Shaista also recently, her son Umar passed away and she's obviously still going through her grieving process, which is very, very normal, right? We did a podcast on that as well, if you haven't caught up on that. This is actually our third podcast together, Shaista. So first of all, Shaista, welcome once again to the Live Inspired Zaida podcast. Jazakallah khair for being here with us. Assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah for having me once again, Zaida. I mean, I mean, I love having you. You always share so much wisdom and so much perspective. And I really, really, you know, I know I always get a lot of um, feedback from everyone saying how much they they benefited from it. Alhamdulillah. So Shaista, you know, we were chatting about this before we started recording. As you were, and I asked you, like, how are you doing? Tell me how you're really doing. And, you know, you said to me with Ramadan approaching, like, I, you know, emotions are coming up. Do you want to share more about that? I think I've really, really been battling for, say, the last week or two since after Shabi Barat, basically, because that's the build up to Ramadan. So from the 15th of Shaban, I've just been feeling extremely sad. <laughs> um, 
it's it's all those memories linked with my child and with the person that you you know that you're so close to that are like coming back and for me so many of my ramadans were based around um umar and what he was feeling or even before he got sick it was about making it exciting for my kids um with the crafts and preparing for ramadan and and then also when they started fasting to prepare their favorite foods and and now i just feel this huge loss because and i feel like how can i be excited about ramadan when a lot of my best mem- memories and the person responsible for those memories is gone <laughs> yeah and you know i think for everyone who's listening here i think can we normalize this also because sometimes people who are not in the same position can become a little bit you know well meaning but a bit judgmental where they feel like oh you know what if your faith is strong enough you should just have accepted this and you should just be in a better space and you shouldn't like pine over the past because allah knows best and yes like you've accepted that you've accepted that this is your reality you've accepted that umar is not here in this dunya with you anymore and you've accepted the fact that this is what your life looks like but that doesn't mean that you can't be sad about it that doesn't mean you can't miss him that doesn't mean that when you see certain things or certain days happen you think oh well you're sitting here at iftar and umar umar would have loved this and you know i'm making the milkshake you know umar always used to love helping me with the milkshake i think first of all can we just remove the judgment because sometimes someone can be feeling that way someone listening to this can be feeling that way and they wondering to themselves is my iman week is my faith week should i be feeling this way what would you say to that person look you have to separate acceptance and your iman from sadness <laughs> that's the main thing feeling sad does not mean that your iman is weak we keep going back to the fact that yaqub alayhi salam one of the great prophets felt sadness for all those years that he missed his son yusuf and he cried until he went blind the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the greatest man the strongest man in the world cried when he lost his son cried more than anyone when you listen to reports and hear reports about how much he cried right so sadness does being sad does not mean you have low faith and if you remember that i think you'll be okay hmm. 100% 100% i think it's a remind something that you can't remind yourself of often enough and we spoke about this in the previous episode that you and i had together where sometimes pe- people can be well meaning but judgmental and so this is just a reminder also that if the ramadan is triggering for you and it's bringing all of that up it's okay it's normal like it's part and parcel of the process which brings me to the next thing let's look at how we can actually deal with this how can we actually process it and i think the first thing and i'm going to offer this from my you know professional perspective is let's stop gaslighting ourselves <laughs> let's stop you know trying to suppress the feelings um sometimes people ask you know how, and and i know you get this question as well shaista like how do you stay happy how do you stay positive how do you still have a, right now you're sitting here you're talking about this you still have a smile on your face and i know you're smiling through the sadness right and then they might think okay well then in order to be like shaista i just have to kind of suppress all my feelings and not show it to other people and just all of that what can you say about giving yourself full permission during this time in ramadan to be with your sadness because i feel like especially with my experience of working with people people run from their emotions and they feel that judgment and so immediately they try and shut it down and they suppress it and it is so harmful what can you say about this i say let yourself feel everything you If, if you want to cry cry if it, if it means your muscle is soaking with tears why not uh, 
experience what you're feeling and then use your faith to pick yourself up and keep going, right? But don't deny how you feel. Um, yeah, don't suppress your emotions. But also at the same time, why people think maybe that I'm strong is, is that I only show my emotions and reveal my true self to people who will make me strong. And I think that's important, Zaida, because you don't have to share what you're feeling with the whole world. You don't have to, like, like, like as you'll see on my social media, I only share the best part of my grief and the part that I feel will be beneficial to others. But nobody sees me on my lowest days. But at that point, I do have people who can make me strong and forget people, I have my Allah who make me strong. And I read somewhere something where it says complaining to anybody else but Allah is like a source of humiliation almost. And I can kind of understand that in a way because when you release those feelings to the wrong people, you actually feel so much worse than before you actually did it. So yeah, that's what I'd say. Shaisa, what you said there is incredibly important. And what comes to mind for me is the idea that not everyone has earned the right to hear your inner stories. So when we're talking about this idea of, you know, do your grieving, allow yourself to be sad, allow yourself to cry. Also understand that not everyone has the capacity to hold space for that in the same way. You're saying that, you know, you know, there are a few people, there's probably a handful, like two to three people max in your life that you absolutely know that you can be so vulnerable with, you can be so real with, you can tell them exactly how you're feeling. And they have the ability to hold space for that without judging you, without making you feel wrong about it, without adding, you know, their own grief to it and kind of burdening you with that. And I think that's important. If you are in a, you know, if you're still in the, your grieving process, don't be afraid to be discerning about who you share it with. You know, you get to select it. And how will you know who to select? By how they react, by how they respond. So if you share a little bit with them and you find that they're shaming you or they become awkward about it or they start unburdening on you, then you're like, you know what? There's nothing wrong with this person. There's nothing bad about them. There's nothing mean about them, but they do not have the capacity to hold space for me. And holding space effectively means I'm holding space for you, Shaista. I can listen to your story without judgment. I can allow you to express how you feel without becoming emotionally entangled with it and without trying to push my agenda of how I think you should do things onto you. And that holding the space is deeply, deeply healing. You don't even have to say anything anytime. Sometimes you just have to be there and hold that space and listen non-judgmentally. But they won't you, if you have two or three people, then alhamdulillah, you are fortunate if that you have those two or three people who can be that for you. But don't be afraid to say, hey, you know what, with this person, I just can't be real. That's not you being fake. That's not you leaving them out. That's you actually protecting and honoring your mental health during this, this difficult period. I completely agree with this, Saida. Jazakallah for this. Ameen, Ameen. And, you know, you also we spoke about this idea of crying and I know we spoke about it in the previous episode and we're touching on it again now. And the thing that I often hear from people is, right, but what's the point? Crying doesn't change anything, right? Even like, because it doesn't, right? Like logically speaking, it's not going to obviously change the situation in bringing the person back. And when I listen to that, you know, I want to take this deep breath and we're going to say a few things about it, Right. But it's something we often heard in childhood, right? If you were a little child and you were crying, you say, oh, well, crying is not going to change anything. But the fact is actually crying does 
does change certain things. It does play a role. It does have a purpose to it as much as it doesn't feel like it. What can you share about that, Shaista? Look, firstly, a broken heart is not logical. So, so don't, yeah, don't try to think of this logically, right? Just honor what you're feeling, embrace it. And personally, I feel like crying is such a release for me. It's like this buildup of all these emotions. And once it comes out, you just feel, you feel lighter. And when you do it in front of Allah, you feel stronger. I can guarantee you that. You just feel like I can keep going. Yeah, crying in front of Allah is everything for me. It's, it, 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 it doesn't make you weaker. It makes you so much, so much stronger than you've ever been before. Absolutely. And following on from that, right, even from a scientific perspective, you actually release certain stress hormones in your tears. Like it has a very real function. If you, if you feel that strong urge to cry and you allow it, I mean, truly allow it where you have like that deep, deep kind of cry. I mean, and it's not just even for that kind of, we face all kinds of griefs in our life. And we're going to get into that in a bit. The grief of a loved one is a massive grief, but you know, sometimes we have grief of different things, grief of the kind of life you thought you would have, or, you know, grief of the kind of relationships you had with certain thought you would have had with certain people in your life and the acceptance that, you know, this is the way they are. And this is the way things are. And I have to learn to accept that there can be grief associated with that. Um, but so there's different forms of grief that you will experience in your life. And Ramadan can bring about any one of those. Okay. Especially if you're in a situation where maybe there's certain family members who you have tried your utmost to make things work with them, but it's just seems impossible. Right. And so there's a certain grief associated with that. And during Ramadan, you think, well, you know, if I could have made things work with them, if things were different, if they were different, then, you know, my Ramadan would look different or my Eid would look different. So there's all kinds of grief, but allowing yourself that full space to just release and have that cry. And I actually, I'm going to share with everyone. I had a cry like that. Yes, Shabi, but that exactly. And if Shaban, that's when I had it. And I remember something happened and I just went at Asar and I had the biggest cry. And I tell you, my musala was like wet. But what a release and what a relief to pass that on to Allah. I know that in that moment, nothing was going to change, but everything did change internally. You actually feel a shift and your ability to connect with Allah when you are in that space, when you truly allow yourself to go into the depth of pain that's coming up, it's unlike anything you've ever experienced. I completely agree that agree that that feeling when you're desperate, that connection with Allah when you're desperate and you're heartbroken and yeah, you don't know what to do. That kind of connection with Allah, you do not get in happy times. <laughs> as much as we try to like be persistent during happy times, that connection is so special when you look at it later. Um, we actually have to make sugar for that connection, I think. Yeah, and I think what happens is if you are denying yourself that deep cry and that deep feeling you are actually missing out on so much now i'm not saying like go make up a reason or whatever but if you're genuinely feeling and we all know where you're genuinely feeling that feeling where you just can't hold these tears back um make a space for yourself and sometimes people ask me well i'm in a situation like i'm in public it's not a place find yourself a private space i don't know about you shaisa but i've cried in my car a few times in my life you know find a private space find a place where you can just let it all out 
<laughs> the Thai is my favorite place to cry. <laughs> Grief has no timetable, right? Grief has no timetable. So when it visits you, you have to create a space for it. And if not right there in that moment, then sometime during that day, you're going to have to actually create space for it. So something I want to share with the listeners is something that I do on a regular basis. I actually make it part of my routine. I'm not sure if you do something similar. But what I do is most mornings before I actually, like after I have the children, I'll, I, I'll either do this first thing in the morning, like around budget time, or um, after I've, you know, the kids have gone to school and before I have my first meetings for the day, I will actually give myself like 20 minutes where I just sit and I just say, well, is there anything that wants to come up for release today? Is there anything that I need to feel? Is there anything here that I want to allow myself permission to be with? And different days, it's different things, you know? And it's so interesting what comes up. Just, it's like such an act of love. It's such an act of self-care and compassion to just say, hey, like self, is there anything like you want to bring up? Um, and so that's, you can start as simply as that, is just giving yourself permission to allow something to rise up within you. And then maybe you want to cry about it. Maybe you want to hit some pillows because there's anger or frustration coming up. Uh, maybe you want to journal. Maybe you want to doodle. Whatever it is, you give yourself that space to do so. I, I, I completely with, agree with you. But I also want to say that sitting with your thoughts can be very scary too. <laughs> So you're able to do it, but sometimes when you're going through grief, you can't sit with your thoughts. It's, it's difficult. I'm glad you sense. brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> I have a lot of tools at my disposal. You know, I've been doing this a long time, alhamdulillah, and I teach it to my students as well. So they can do that. They can sit with that. So I'm really, really glad you brought that up because if you don't have the tools where you know how to emotionally process, then let's share with the listeners what they could do. So instead of just sitting there with your thoughts, which maybe sometimes especially when you're not used to allowing yourself expression of expression of emotions we tend to stay in our heads because what we don't realize is that emotions are not processed mentally they're processed somatically it's actually processed in your body right so we try to solve an emotional problem and you said it as well a broken heart is not logical we try to solve our emotions with logic and for anyone who's listening you probably already know that you cannot think your way out of an emotion It's actually not possible to do that. And so, yes, there are tools that I teach in my programs and things where you can use a mixture of logic and somatic feeling to release it. But for those people who may not have access to those tools, what can we offer them? Like, what are some of the tools that you use sometimes when you feel like, okay, I just want to give myself space to allow for release or to feel, is there something that you suggest? I know Quran and all of that is a big part of it for you. So what do you want to share here? For me, it would be journaling. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll give, I'll set a timer on my phone for 10 minutes, right? And literally write everything that comes to my mind with no filter, no editing, just get it out there on paper, right? And it's, for me, it's less scary than thinking about it, if it makes sense, <laughs> because you're just writing, right? And, and you're not judging yourself as you're writing because you only have that many minutes to write. Like you say, you can judge a lot of your feelings and your thoughts, but when you write, there's no judgment, right? So for me, that's that's huge. And then to take it one step further is Quran journaling, which I've used to talk myself through so many desperate situations. It's basically either following a set routine of reading Quran with the translation and then 
writing about what and, and then I, I'd write a verse that stands out for me um, for that day in my set portion and what Allah's trying to tell me and what what yeah what because I mean there's so many times when we can all say that we feel like that verse was revealed specifically for us at that specific moment right and I can attest to that that's what's helped me uh, get through a lot of a lot of difficult situations. So there's two things that you're mentioning here, Shaista. The first is what we call stream of consciousness journaling. And it's a really, really valuable tool, like you mentioned, because it's just like that no filter kind of dumping. It reminds me of something a past student once uh, recommended, which I always kind of stuck with me. And what she shared was that every time she has something that she's worried about or she's anxious about, in the day when it comes to her, what she says is she says, no problem. I have an appointment with you tomorrow at this time when I'm going to think about it. And then that's when she does the stream of consciousness. So every time it comes up, she's like, no, 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 we'll keep it for the appointment. So, you know, and by the time she gets to it, maybe the perspective has actually shifted a little bit. So I thought that was so clever and it ties in with the stream of consciousness. So that's a really good place to start. And then the second you mentioned was the Quran journaling, which of course we went much more in depth into in one of my previous podcast episodes. I'll maybe link it in the show notes below so that people can go check that out as well. But I love what you mentioned because that's exactly what my experience of it was. And I remember messaging you one day where I just felt like sometimes mm -hmm. it, it almost like blows you over. Like you almost like fall over when a particular ayah, like you make that intention, you say, Ya Allah, reveal to me the ayah. Like you say, and you sit with your Quran randomly and you say, Ya Allah, please reveal to me the ayah that you know that I need right now. And you open it up. And I think I need to mention this because sometimes you see that ayah and immediately, remember, we, we're not tafsir students. So you don't immediately understand that verse except at face value you have a very face value superficial understanding of it and that's not necessarily when you'll have that feeling but sometimes i've had that feeling where i open it up to that eye and i'm like okay but it even at first i'm like okay I'm, I'm not sure how this ties in and following that process that you that you explained to us the last time where you actually go in and you google you know you go onto youtube and you check out obviously people who uh you know you can trust their tafsir um, you go into that a little bit. You don't have to go very in-depth, but you just watch a few things, listen to a few things. There's some wonderful podcasts as well where they share more on this, uh, where you can go into a particular surah, a particular ayah and get more perspective. And once you understand first the context within which that ayah was revealed and what the message mm -hmm. was in there and how it kind of pertains to everything, maybe pertain to the life of, of Rasulullah or the Sahaba or things that were going on, what the, you know, the kind of reasoning or what, what the kind of uh, messaging was about that. Then the penny drops of like, oh, so this is how it applies in my life. This is how it's going to actually make sense for me. And then you're like, oh, I, wow. And it's actually all the more special because when you first see it, you're like, okay, cool but I don't really get it. And then when you do some, some research around it, and then you start following the Quran journaling steps where you do your own reflection, suddenly all these new awareness pops up and you're like, oh, okay, that's, that's how it actually pertains to my life. That's the message in it for me. And it's like, you like reveal this gem, like you went like, you know, in the jungle and you were looking for these things and these clues and then suddenly you found the treasure, you know, and it's just such a special feeling. I agree completely. Anything is more rewarding when you've worked hard for it, right? And, 
And also, I have to share a tip that one of my teachers taught us. And she said, before you start um, Quran, obviously set your intentions and ultimately for the closeness to Allah, but also read Surah Fatiha, right? And make the dua that through the, through the barakat of Surah Fatiha, which is, means the opening, Oh Allah, please reveal the secrets of the Quran that you need, which I need, and like open my way for me. So that I found has been very, very um, powerful and useful for me. So I just had to share that with you guys. Wow, I got goosebumps when you said that. You said, okay, recite Fatiha, which obviously is the opening. And sometimes, you know, sometimes when you look at these things, it's so obvious, right? I mean, Fatiha is called the opening and we all know that. But sometimes at certain points in your life, you're like, yeah, the opening, like the opener, like if I'm feeling stuck and I feel like every door is closed, like, oh, I'm not sure. You know, it can be applied to yes. so many things. You said here, oh Allah, please reveal the secrets of the Quran and what did I basically do the barakat of Surah Fatiha reveal all the secrets of the Quran that you the, the correct secrets of the Quran that I need from you hmm. that applies to my I love situation. That. I, I love, love that. that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that because, you know, and I think we spoke about this previously, but I'm going to mention it again and maybe something different will come up is that Quran, like, you know, it's for all times. And I think that's one of the miracles. It's like, you think, okay, how can one text apply to every single human being since the time of Rasulullah because that's billions and billions and billions of people with billions and billions of problems and billions and billions of issues and billions and billions of trauma. But somehow it does, like, it just, it's like, it just has this, obviously this divine quality. So I think that's a really beautiful thing. And saying it like that kind of tunes you to like, okay, so reveal to me what I need for my particular grief, for my particular pain, for my particular issues and challenges. I love that. Love, love, love that. I'm going to use that inshallah. Okay. Um, so I want to mention something else that, you know, I touched on a little bit earlier is again, the grief of relationships that you wish were different so we're talking now about the loss of a loved one but what about situations where you have a difficult relationship with close family members and Ramadan and Eid can be very very triggering about that and that is why I have my you know relationship revolution and boundaries revolution program is because so many people actually deal with this and being able to find ways to deal with it in a way that honors your faith and honors your Islamic values and, you know, honors both your dunya and akhirah is literally life-changing because you are going to have situations like this, like every milestone in life, whether it's Ramadan or Eid or it's birthdays or anniversaries or, you know, whatever it might be, can be a trigger for these kinds of things. So, you know, I also want to invite everyone to just be aware of the fact that this can happen during this time. You can use the same tools that Shaista has meant, and I have mentioned earlier of you know allowing yourself to grieve, allowing the emotions to come up, creating space for emotional processing and so on. But at the same time, I also want to invite you to the fact that any step that you take to acquire knowledge or skills in the form of communication skills or relationship skills or boundary skills or whatever else it might be, anything that is going to help you not just process the pain of what you're going through, but to find new ways of dealing with it where you know you can let go of your resent resentment and bitterness and you can find new ways that actually work for you and allow you to honor those family ties. Any effort that you make towards that is a form of ibadat if you are doing it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because in all honesty, right? And I was telling Shaisa about this earlier, 
you can read up on relationships and boundaries and you know toxic people all over the internet and what does it say to you oh well you know if somebody's if you feel like somebody's uh, toxic to you or they don't bring joy to your life just cut them out but as muslims we don't believe that right we have values and one of those values we have is to maintain family ties for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you have to have that but because if it was just for us there'd be no point be like yeah you're too much grief you're too difficult to deal with i'm done with you right but that part for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means that you're doing something that you know is difficult for you to do so you're striving towards it now for many of us we just feel like oh just grin and bear it grin and bear it and sit with the resentment and just suffer through it but that it doesn't have to be that way if allah has placed that situation in your life where you have a difficult relationship with a family member it is his way of showing you or leading you towards the growth that he knows he wants you to have it's his way of releasing the innate potential that he has placed within you so any steps that you take towards and i always tell my, and we've got i've got a relationship revolution members right now that we will be working together during ramadan and i tell them make your intention for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because this is a form of worship for you allah recognizes it would be so easy for you to just walk away from these relationships and just ignore them but you are doing the very very difficult work of saying hey okay how can i change how can i shift what can i do differently so that i can experience this differently and it's not just empowering in this dunya but again it is a form of ibadat and worship so i just wanted to mention that as well Ramadan Eid all of these times are very triggering but let that trigger allow you to process your emotions but also invite you to the fact that you can do something differently obviously if you've loved lost you know a loved one has left this dunya it's not much you can do about that except you know kind of process your emotions and and take from it what Allah allows you to have but when it comes to relationships like this that we are grieving with that person is still around there's a lot that can be done This is so powerful, Zaida. Jazakallah for sharing. You taught me so much today. <laughs> I needed to hear this today. So Jazakallah for this. I mean, I mean, may Allah place barakah in all of our relationships and all of our efforts towards making those relationships work. Because I know there's a lot of people listening here who have been deeply hurt by people who are supposed to, you know, make you feel safe and make you feel loved and make you feel accepted. And it's not an easy. And that's why I say it's very difficult work of it. because sometimes we think well, why should i have to do the work if i'm not the one at fault right it, it's it's not fair no it's not it's not fair i'm telling you it's not fair but the fact is you're not doing it for them you're doing it for allah and it doesn't have to be in such a way that it causes you further harm there are so many options you have available to you we tend to think in extreme extremes like either like i just walk away from the whole thing and then i sacrifice my akhirah or i just stay in this pit hole and then endure more harm and abuse even and you know at the at the expense of my dunya and in between those two extremes there is so much to explore you know so any steps that you take towards that again is inshallah will be a form of barakah for you i hope as well so shaista i think what can you leave the listeners with in terms of them allowing themselves to be a little bit more easy with themselves a little bit more compassionate through ramadan through eid i think also in terms of the expectations they have of themselves because sometimes i feel like people think like they have very high expectations of themselves for ramadan like sometimes you also wonder how many of those expectations are actually cultural especially when it comes to eid preps and so on and when you're grieving 
sometimes you're just not in the space for all of that. And, and your energy is not there. We, you know, we've spoken about this before that sometimes when you're grieving, there are some days you're full of energy and some days where even getting out of bed takes a massive amount of energy and willpower. So what do you want to share with, with, with the listeners who might be going through this? I think for me, the way I've coped through this whole grief process and what I'm hoping to still use to get through it is to distinguish between cultural expectations and what Allah wants of me. I think that is very important. Um, as long as I know my Allah is happy and I'm not doing anything against Islam, there's no need to feel guilty. And um, yeah, I can live a, a, a relatively uh, content life if I say that, right? And not feel guilty about the cultural stuff. Like, just take it out of your mind. Look, you do not have to be making a hundred cupcakes for Eid or whatever it is you were used to doing um, before you lost someone that you that you loved. Do what you can, what makes you happy, and as long as you you're doing the right thing by Allah, it's enough. If that makes sense. Yeah, because there's no ayah that says you need to make a hundred cupcakes. I just want to put that out there. So you don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to feel guilty. And I think what you mentioned is extremely important about cultural expectations. Like sometimes you might say something like, oh, but it is supposed to be a celebration, right? That's another thing, a guilt kind of thing. And we use that for what I call spiritual bypassing, where we say, okay, but it is supposed to be happy. It is supposed to be a celebration. You're not allowed to be sad on Eid. You're not allowed to grieve. You're not allowed to cry. What would you say to someone who's saying that? <laughs> don't listen <laughs> you are allowed to cry look I think for the sake of others and for your for the people close to you try try to be yeah there <laughs> try to be present if that makes sense as best as, and you, can. as, best as you can and that presence might look different as best as you can what I'm actually going to recommend Shaisa is pace yourself for eat uh, do preparation. And when I'm talking about preparation, I'm not talking about kitchen preparation. I'm talking about internal preparation. If if this is an Eid where maybe it's your first Eid or maybe even after all these years, some people have lost loved ones and every Eid is, is a little bit of a challenge for them. Maybe it gets slightly easier, but there is that challenge that comes up. Prepare for it internally. So what you want to do is maybe the way that you start your, uh, your day um, kind of focused on doing some journaling, making a special dua to, for Allah to strengthen your heart, to make it easy for you to be in a celebratory mood, to experience the good and the khair that this has, to give out charity in the name of the person who you lost, right? What, you know, think about how, how can I honor their memory? Maybe you also give yourself space to talk about that person. So you know that inner circle we spoke about who you can be very authentic with and you can, you know, those are the people who deserve to hear your inner stories. Maybe like ring them up and talk to them. Hey, remember, you know, if so-and-so was here, if Umar was here, remember this and remember that. You know, allow yourself to fill that cup up a little bit where you've honored that memory and you felt like you've had that connection. Maybe that morning, allow yourself to have a cry during that dua and whatever it is. And then just pace yourself throughout the day. Pace yourself, try your best to be present uh, without feeling guilty, without having big expectations of yourself. Keep coming back to your intention, which is, Ya Allah, I am here for you. I'm here for you today. I am celebrating today because you have commanded me to celebrate. Um, and so this is what I'm here for, right? And that that celebration is to be consistent with what your idea of celebration is for Ya Allah, not necessarily anyone else's idea of celebration. And pace yourself. If you feel like you can manage 
as one meal, go for that meal, do the best that you can. Don't force yourself to be part of every single conversation if you're not feeling it. Sometimes you can just sit there and listen, have a smile, space out a little bit, come back and pre-present again. You know, if you're feeling like it's too much, find a retreat in the house, car, bathroom, somewhere where you can go and have a bit of a cry, or you can do some deep breathing, or you can do some journaling. Give yourself spaces throughout the day. Maybe you find actually in the middle of the afternoon, you are a bit drained, you need to go and have a nap. Honor that, honor that feeling. I'm asking you to give yourself permission through this Eid to just pace yourself a little bit, not have big expectations, be aware of when judgment and guilt is rearing its unhelpful head and kind of just gently let it know, hey, you know what, I know I need to honor my process. I'm doing the best that I can and that is enough. And that is how you're going to kind of, inshallah, get through your Eid. I hope that that makes a difference for you and makes it easier. I can't tell you how beneficial this is. I have notes scribbled all over my paper. Jazakallah for this. I really, really need it. Alhamdulillah. 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 <laughs> yeah, for, for all the, those of you who have, you know, lost loved ones and this is your first Eid or like I said, maybe it's been many Eids, but it brings up the memories for you. May Allah ease your heart. May he compensate you beyond your imagination in this world and the Akhirah. Um, may he just create so much healing for you. May he open the doors of healing for you, his doors of mercy for you. And remember Shaista and I in your very special du'as as we head into Ramadan. Um, Shaista, any parting words you want to leave everyone with? No, just a request for du'as for, 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 for everybody who has a broken heart. May Allah heal your heart Amen. and may Allah elevate all our marhum, um, elevate their status in Jannah and forgive Amen. them and allow us to always maintain that connection with them through good, like you said, through charity and praying for them and to work towards joining them, inshallah, in Jannah one day. Jazakallah khair once again. Shaista, so appreciate you making the time to come on here. It's such a pleasure. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum I am sitting here with a warm cup of tea. So it feels like you and I are having a cozy little chat. I want to get into something really important today. Sometimes we have certain advice that's very common in our community that's also very well-meaning, but that is completely toxic. And one of these pieces of advice, and I'm sure you have heard it said to you, like you've heard it from other people, or maybe you've said it yourself, and that's okay, but I'm going to now explain to you why it's completely, completely toxic and dysfunctional. Have you ever been told, or have you maybe told other people something along the lines of be the better person. So in instances where someone has a situation where someone is triggering them or not being very nice to them or maybe being unfair to them, they're having some kind of problem or issue in that relationship. And so you say to them, oh, you know what? Don't let it get to you. Be the bigger person. Now, this advice is well-meaning, and in certain situations, maybe it does apply. But today, I'm going to take you through a few different reasons why this advice is completely toxic, especially if you are giving it to your children. And I know many of us tell our children this when they have any kind of issues in friendships or with bullying or anything like that. We tell our kids, you know what, don't let it get to you. Be the bigger person. Now, I'm going to not only tell you why this advice is completely unhelpful 
or even toxic, but I'm also going to share with you what you can say or offer instead of saying, be the bigger person. So first of all, one of the major reasons why telling someone to be the bigger person is toxic is because it is a form of kind of avoidance or spiritual bypassing. So instead of working through what this person is going through, you're kind of telling this person, you know what, ignore your emotions, shove them under the carpet. And you're almost kind of saying to them, you know, if you can't just switch off these emotions that you're feeling, then you're not the better person. You're the worst person. So it's indirectly saying to this person that how, number one, how you feel doesn't matter. So you're completely invalidating the emotions. And number two, you're saying to them that if you feel these feelings, there's obviously something wrong with you. And only if you can switch off these feelings, can you be the quote unquote, bigger person or better person. Now, here's the thing. Whatever this person is feeling might not be helpful for them. So maybe they're feeling hurt or betrayed or sidelined or embarrassed or whatever else might be coming up with them, for them. So maybe these emotions are not constructive for them, but actually they still feel those emotions. And you telling them to just ignore those emotions is not going to switch those emotions off, right? We can't just switch our emotions on and off. So you're kind of telling them, instead of processing your emotions, just switch them off. And most of the time, this person can't do that. And so what happens is they end up feeling bad or wrong about even thinking these things or feeling this way. And it doesn't actually solve the problem because the next time they have this issue with the other person, they're going to have similar emotions come up, but it's going to be compounded. So what happens is they might sit with those emotions and those emotions kind of fester into resentment and bitterness. So the next reason why this is such a toxic piece of advice and really, really unhelpful is it's about seeking ego validation. If you're saying to someone that, hey, if you don't say anything to this person or you just ignore this or you just sweep it under the rug, then you are automatically the better person. I would say then better than who? Better than the other person? How can you say that you are better than the other person? So we're using this as a way to kind of boost our own ego in a very unhealthy way. Because you're assuming that just because you're not saying anything or you're not engaging, that this person is somehow worse than you. But how can we know? How can we judge the state of someone's heart? How can we judge whether someone is better or worse than us? Do we really have the right to do that? So even in this statement, we're automatically making an assumption about the other person as well, right? We're saying because they're doing whatever it is, and sometimes it might be a, a person who's very difficult. Sometimes it might just be a disagreement or a, you know, two people not being able to communicate clearly enough. When you say be the better person, you are saying that you have an automatic pass of being superior to this person as long as you just keep your mouth shut. Can you see how toxic that is? The third reason why this advice is really unhelpful is it's just avoidance of accountability. Instead of looking more deeply at this issue and saying, hey, how can I shift? Why is what this person doing or saying triggering me? How can I work through some of the emotions that are being triggered in me? Am I creating stories in my head about what this person means? 
do this person and I have some miscommunication going on? Could I be communicating differently? Could I be responding differently to this person? By just saying something like be the better person and ignore, you are skipping the whole process of figuring out how you could show up differently. So by saying just be the better person and just do nothing, you're saying skip accountability completely. When we have situations in our life where people you know, feel difficult to deal with or bring up difficult emotions in us, these are beautiful opportunities to actually look inward and grow ourselves and upskill and learn more about ourselves and others, go deeper in our relationships. When you say just be the better person and sweep everything under the rug, you are robbing yourself of that opportunity of engaging in this upskilling and this growth and this evolution. Another reason why saying be the better person is, is problematic is because there's an emotional buildup that happens. You kind of tell yourself to just ignore everything or you're telling someone else, oh, just ignore how you feel. But those emotions don't go away. We can't just click our fingers and make emotions go away. What we have to do is we have to learn the skills of processing our emotions. And when we do this, we become equipped for all kinds of situations because then it doesn't matter what happens we have the tools, you have the tools and the skills and the resources to deal with them in a constructive way. And that is life-changing. And that's basically a lot of what I teach in my programs, right? So rather than sitting with an emotional buildup, which can actually lead to physical symptoms, because emotions are very real things. They cause biological changes within our body-mind. And a buildup of resentment and bitterness can over time lead to physical symptoms or you feeling anxious all the time or feeling like you have no energy or depression and so on and so forth. A lot of the things that we see as symptoms, a lot of the things that we see in the mental health space and even in physical illness can be traced back to emotional buildup or emotional blockages. So these are emotions that we haven't learned how to deal with. And then the final reason that I'm going to share with you is that when you say something like be the better person to yourself or someone else, it's very black and white thinking. You get stuck. You have limited options because then your mind goes into this black and white way of seeing things of, okay, if I do nothing, if I say nothing, then I'm automatically a better person. But if I do something or I say something, then I'm automatically the worst person. So in a way, your mind is going to say then, well, I'm not going to seek out solutions because I want to be the better person. I don't want to be the worst person. Can you see how problematic and how limiting this is? The truth is neither you nor this other person is in a position to judge who is the better person, right? And so we're creating these arbitrary measures when in fact, we really don't know who the better person is. So instead of trying to be the better person in comparison to this person that you're having conflict with, how about you focus on upskilling and growing your own awareness and emotional intelligence skills so that you can grow to be a better version of you? So it's not about being a better person than them. It's about being better than you were. 
It's about your growth process. It's about your evolution. So the next time someone says to you, be the better person, or you tell yourself that, or it's on the tip of your tongue that you want to say this to someone else, I want you to remember what you heard here today. Or feel free to share this podcast episode with them or come back and listen to it. I'm so excited because in the Live Inspired Academy, Live Inspired Space, Live Inspired Portal, there is so much happening right now, alhamdulillah. If you are not on my Instagram, please make sure that you follow me there on Live Inspired ZA. And I also just started a personal account, Zahida Mohammadi. So feel free to follow me there as well for more behind the scenes and kind of more raw sharing of my day-to-day kind of uh, routine and so on. Um, but it's such an exciting time in the Live Inspired portal because there's all kinds of things coming up. There's an amazing masterclass that's coming up on the 21st of July. It's called Boundaries for the Big Hearted. So if you're someone who's caring, empathetic, you love to give, but at the same time, that giving sometimes feels that giving nature feels depleting. You feel like it causes you to go into overwhelm or burnout, or sometimes maybe you even get taken advantage of by other people. I, this masterclass is just groundbreaking because it is going to help you really see the power in your empathy so that you can leverage that empathy and that caring nature of yours so that it not only supports other people around you, but you can do it in a more sustainable way because there is so much power in being someone who's empathetic. I also have some amazing other things that I have lined up for you guys that I cannot wait to share with you. There's so much coming very soon, inshallah. So make sure that you have switched on your post notifications on Instagram and that you're opening up the emails that you do receive from me because lots to come. Take care and have an inspired day.